upbeat lady. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Margarita, what happened to you? You were holding and holding and holding, and I was just ready to press the button and bring you on the air with your question. And you hung up. Come on. Come on, man. So, Margarita, if you're listening and you still want to call, 888-914-9149. Cyrus, I see that a lot. Come on, man. No, I'm serious. Come on, man. People hold, and I'm just about to go to them. Come on, man. Just be patient. That's all. I know some people have to get to work. 888-9... What are we talking about? What are we talking about? That's how I feel on Groundhog Day. Is this Come the on, first man. hour? Are we redoing the first hour here, or are we in the third hour? I think we're in the third hour. I'm not even sure what year it is anymore. I've been Come on, man. <laughs> I've been doing this for so long. Come on, man. Let me hear that one. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's the, next the best one. one. Let me have Come the next on, one. Man. That Come one. on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Well, let's find out. Uh, we'll go to Crystal in Illinois. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to try and sum up 55 years and be concise. Um, I need your advice. My dad was married civilly in Texas a long time ago and got divorced because uh, his wife committed adultery. Okay. A child was born. Um, he fought for custody, even though he suspected that that child was not his. Um, he remarried, moved to Illinois, and, uh, that ex-wife was causing a lot of trouble, and that's the reason that he left. Um, that ex-wife eventually ended up abandoning the child at my aunt's doorstep. My aunt raised her because she couldn't have children. Um, fast forward, mm-hmm. my half-sister, um, she suffered a lot, right? She- She's the child that your father was unsure whether the baby was his or not? Oh, hang on a second. Crystal, yeah, I'm not sure if you could hear me. So that your half-sister, is she the child that was born to his wife and the other guy? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Um, And so she later ran away because she lived a bad life at my aunt's house, um, and she fell into drugs and prostitution and so on. She had kids. They followed suit. Um, and so it, my, my dad's family likes to keep scandals very secretive. I think it's a form of pride. I'm not sure. Um, but my question is, what is my dad's? Well, she came to visit and we did a DNA test on her mm-hmm. without her knowledge. Um, you know, she left a hair brush behind and we took her hair strands and did a DNA test. It turns out she really is not related to us. Okay. And so what do you think in a godly way, I guess, would be my dad's responsibility towards her? Um, number one, should he tell her that he isn't her biological father? And then what is his responsibility financially in his in his will. Um, he was advised by a lawyer to at least leave her a thousand dollars, um, so that she wouldn't be forgotten. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm, what a tangled problem this is. So I would, number one, say that... I mean, there are a lot of things that come to my mind as you're describing this situation, Crystal. I would wonder about, you know, what is the relationship that he has with her? Now that you have some definitive proof, even though you obtained it in an underhanded way, now that you have some definitive proof that she's not related to him, you know, she's not his natural child. The question in my mind is, how does he relate to her? Does he love her? Does she love him? Has he been a father to her? Do they have a father-daughter relationship? And and only you, I mean, maybe really only he can answer that question. But even though, because of everything that happened, she may not, or she isn't his biological daughter, it doesn't mean that she's not his daughter in the sense that I'm referring to. So what is his legal duty to her? Well, nobody is legally obliged to leave anything to children. I mean, parents can write their children out of the will if they if they want to. I don't think it's, you know, it's always not always a great idea to do that, but it, it's not illegal for him to not give anything to you or to anyone else in right. the family. You know what I mean? So he's not obliged to do anything one way or the other. And, and that's what I'm saying. I, I'm not a lawyer, so you'd have to talk to a lawyer to find out specifically, but as I understand it, he has no legal obligation by way of having to leave anything for her or you or anyone else in the will. It's a matter of the relationship. And so if she has always been accepted in some sense or at some level as his daughter, even though she's had a lot of problems and a lot of bad decisions and mistakes and things like that, you know, if he has that relationship with her, I would think he would want to do something for her. Now, if he doesn't, that's up to him. He's not required to do anything. So if it's a matter of feelings feelings of anger toward her and, you know, why should she share in the family's legacy and the inheritance when she's not really one of us? I mean, those are emotions that I would I would look carefully at because they could be, the, the source could be greed, or anger, or a lack of forgiveness, hard-heartedness, you know, these are natural human emotions, but I would question those to see if the concern is more in that direction than it is in trying to do the right thing, or the best thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good way to, to evaluate this. Yeah, they, yeah. they have an estranged relationship. Um, it's, you know, on Christmas, a phone call. Um, if something big is happening in her life, like she needs a loan or, you know, her home co-signed, something like that. Um, it's pretty, yeah, few and far between. Um, mm-hmm. Well, okay. I know you know the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells that story. And just to recap, the son is belligerent to his father and acts out, and he demands his inheritance, and he splits. And he's gone, and he he squanders the money with prostitutes and riotous living, and, and as, in other words, the first century equivalent of what your half-sister has been doing. And eventually he has a change of heart, and he he's sorry that he did what he did, and he wants to go back home, but he realizes, well, my dad's not going to let me come back the way it was before. So I'll just, I'll be like a hired hand and I'll, I'll dig ditches or whatever, but I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live behind the dumpster anymore. 
So he goes back, and Jesus says that from a, a distance, the father sees his son coming home, which indicates that he was probably waiting for him and watching for him. And he runs out to greet him, and he says, my son who once was dead is now alive. So put a ring on his finger. Let's make. Let's have a big party. Let's celebrate his return. So that's such a beautiful story, Crystal, because it reminds us of the importance of even though somebody may have done bad things, if and when they repent and they want to be restored, that we should be joyful about that and not hard-hearted and not unforgiving, but to to do what the Father did in that story. And maybe there's something there that would apply to your family situation. And do you think that he should tell her that he's not her biological father? Well, I don't know the answer to that question because you obtained that information in an underhanded way. It was, it was mm-hmm. not a, you know, it was not a noble thing to do that. So right. that makes it all the more tricky because now he would have to say how he knows that. And I don't know if the girl even knows it. I guess she's a woman now, but I mean, this daughter of, of his, presumably, or maybe not, maybe she doesn't know that. So, I mean, you could wind up unleashing a lot of hurt on her because you went to that length to find out, and that wouldn't be good. So I don't really know how to answer that question, Crystal. I really don't. Okay. That's a good thought, though. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. You're welcome, Crystal. I realize it's complicated, but I'll say a little prayer for all of you, yourself included, that everything will have a happy ending. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, We'll go now to Todd in Madison. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, Patrick. Um, Long-time listener. Um, I just have a couple small questions for you. Um, I guess they're not small, but I would say they're... um, I was born into a Catholic family, um, but they didn't... From what I understand, they didn't take their religion that serious. Okay. To the effect that um, my mom had us baptized in a Lutheran church. Okay. Um, but then she's then we were still going to the Catholic church. So I don't know if she just decided to bring us to the Catholic church and she just loved it so much and we stayed there or what. But um, I was confirmed Catholic. So my okay. question is, I'm even though I wasn't baptized Catholic, I'm not, but I was confirmed into the church. That would make me Catholic, correct? Well, yes and no, but kind of no. <laughs> Let's look at it this way. Um, St. <laughs> Paul says in Ephesians that there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Let's start there. What that means theologically, biblically, is that there isn't a, there isn't really a Lutheran baptism and a Methodist baptism, and a Baptist baptism, and a Catholic baptism. There's just baptism. And by virtue of the power of Jesus working in the sacrament, when a person is validly baptized, he is incorporated into the mystical body of Christ and into the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus established, and he established the church with the provision of these seven sacraments. So to use a a more colloquial modern term, you could say, you know, the sacrament of baptism is owned and operated by the Catholic Church. 
So if somebody's baptized in a swimming pool by a Baptist minister and it's a valid baptism, that person has been incorporated into the Catholic Church without knowing it. So that's what made you Catholic to start off. But this is the first of the three sacraments of initiation. So you become progressively more initiated into the Catholic Church, first by baptism, then by confirmation, although that doesn't usually happen immediately after baptism. But baptism, confirmation, and the Holy Eucharist are those three sacraments of initiation. So we could say that even though you were baptized in a Lutheran setting, you were baptized into the Catholic Church in the way that I described earlier. And then by virtue of your confirmation, and I guess you also received your Holy Communion, that fully initiated you into the Catholic Church. So do do you see what I'm saying there? In other words, it's you're Catholic and you were Catholic, but now you're fully initiated, or you were as of when you were confirmed. Okay. Um, So that brings me to the second part of my question. Um, Okay. My wife, when we got married, we got married in the um, United Church of Christ. Okay. I didn't, in a nutshell, I didn't take my Catholicism serious when I was young. I was wild and loose. <laughs> were you raised Catholic of, or were you raised in the Lutheran yeah. Church? I was raised Catholic. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, St. Ignatius and Mount Horeb. Gotcha. Um, um, but I was pretty wild and loose, um, lived a college life and didn't even think about what my responsibilities would be as a Catholic when I got married. I thought if you got okay. married in a church, you got married in a church. Priests had yeah. to be there. Well, maybe, maybe not. Who cares? That kind of thing. So I really didn't look into it. And so we were married by a minister um, of the United Church of Christ with no priest present. Mm-hmm. And I told my wife, I've been listening to you for many years, and I told my wife, I said, and I could get these backwards. That's what I got to get from you. There's sacramental okay. marriage and there's valid marriage. Um, I told her our li- our marriage wasn't sacramental, and that really hurt her. And I was, and I feel real bad for ever saying that. Um, she's well. She said, let's let's look that? at this here. Let's look at this. So you, as a Catholic, you had your wild years. You were a young man when you got married, but you were a fully initiated Catholic, right? So you had been confirmed, received the Holy Eucharist. So the real issue here is that the marriage that you you entered into did not have what's called the canonical form, and that's the Church's requirement that in order for the marriage to be valid, that you, because you're Catholic, have to be married in a Catholic Church and have the marriage officially witnessed by and blessed by a Catholic bishop, priest, or deacon. And that's required for validity with the exception of the bishop giving you a dispensation. So since you didn't pursue a dispensation, that's a moot point. So the issue here, it seems to me, is one of validity. The the marriage is objectively invalid because of the lack of form. Now, what happens is when you and your wife, when everything is back on track and whatever needs to happen, happens, and we can talk about that if you want, when your marriage is convalidated, in other words, it becomes it becomes valid, it's made to be valid in the eyes of God and the church, then, assuming that your wife was baptized, then it automatically becomes sacramental. So the instant that the marriage is convalidated, 
because the both the two of you are baptized, it thereby becomes yes. sacramental. Okay. So there's no extra step, in other words. Okay. Um, my my question with that, and and I and I pray about it because I immediately, and this is what a lot of people. I think this is where a lot of people run into trouble is all of a sudden my defenses come up and I wanted to call you and almost like argue with you that no, our marriage should be considered valid mm-hmm. because we were married in a church and it was witnessed by a ordained minister in the yeah. eyes of, it should be fine in the eyes of God. And it, I feel like the Catholic church is kind of going by their rules that they set down that, no, I need to do it this way rather than, and this is, and, you know, and so I, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not trying no, to I be understand. confrontational. You're sorting it um, through. You're trying to, you're trying to sort through this. I understand. Yeah, I didn't get the impression you were mad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think of this. I'll give you a few things to chew on, Todd. Jesus said, you can look at it in Matthew 16, verse 18, and also Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 where Jesus says first to, to Simon Peter, whatever you bind on earth, so he says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now he says it to the group of the apostles as, as a whole. In Matthew 18, he says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So he grants them an authority to do exactly that, to bind certain things, and to lose certain things. Or in Luke 10, 16, he says to the apostles as a group, he says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Or in Matthew 28, verse 20, this is the very end of the gospel where he's about to ascend into heaven. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, he doesn't specify what all those things are, but he gives the church, the the magisterium of the church, the bishops, the authority to lay down rules and to say, this is what we're going to do. And as Catholics, we have an obligation because the church is our mother. And Jesus, who is the head of the church, has entrusted the bishops and their successors with the authority to govern and to sanctify and to teach, etc. That's what this is all about, is that the church, because she takes marriage so seriously, and, and wants to defend the sacredness of the marriage bond, the church says for Catholics, in order for you to be validly married, you must at the very least be married in a Catholic church, not just any old church, and you have to have the marriage witnessed by and blessed by a Catholic bishop, priest, or deacon. And those, the church has the right to do that, and th- the Lord gave the church the mission to regulate how things would be done, and that's what the church has done. So I realize that you may say, yeah, but, but really there is no yeah, but, because you're a Catholic and you are obliged to follow those laws. If you were in the military, you would be obliged to follow the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And there are things that apply to you in the military. I know you're not in the military, but let's just say you were. I am... As a, as a civilian, not governed by the Uniform Code of Military Justice, but you, if you were in the military, are. 
And you may say, well, you know, he, he doesn't have to do that. How come I have to do that? Well, the reason you have to do is because you're the one in the military. And therefore, that law governs you. So being a Catholic means that, that that is necessary for the validity of the marriage. But my point here, Todd, I'm not trying to, like, drop a ton of bricks on you or anything like that. The, the beautiful part about this is that there is a way forward. And, mm-hmm. and this can all be healed and reconciled, and your marriage can be convalidated and become sacramental. And that's really what you're looking for, right? You want everything to be peaceful and happy and good to go, right? Right. And what did I get the terms mixed up? I mean, Which is terms? Our, if you're married, is the, the church both invalid and non-sacramental, or is it one or the other? At this point, I mean, again, I'm not a canon lawyer, so you would need to consult a canon lawyer to get, you know, with, with somebody who has the competence— yeah, or a priest, that's true. Um, but I, I'm telling you basically what, what a priest would tell you, and that is that because of the lack of form, it's an invalid marriage. It's, it's not casting aspersions on your wife. It's not looking down on her. It's not in any way denigrating who she is or how she is. I'm sure she's wonderful in every respect. And the yeah, church by... Yeah. If anybody's yeah. going to heaven, be, she's going before me. <laughs> I mean, because of my past. I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. That's that's good. And I'm happy for you, Todd. But this can all be corrected. This, this can all be rectified, probably a better way to put it. And, and if you talk to your parish priest, just say, I understand that I need to have my marriage convalidated. Can we get that process started? And there's, there's not a whole lot to it. There's some preparation. You'll exchange your vows publicly again. The marriage will be convalidated and instantly become sacramental. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's why I opened my heart to you. I mean, a lot of people call and their, their hearts are so, it's like they want to argue with you, but you know, just call and get the truth. And sometimes the truth isn't easy, but you should follow what the truth is. Well, you're a good man, Todd. I I admire you wanting to do the right thing. That's good. Okay. One, yeah. one can I, I've got a roll. I'm sorry. I'm past my break time. So forgive me, Todd, but call me back sometime. I'd love to talk again. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. At the intersection of faith and culture, The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. You know, I was all prepared for it, and you got me anyway. Yes! You did it, man. That's a win. That's a three-point shot right there. Nice. Thank you. What can I say? 888-914-9149. Jerry in Virginia, thank you and welcome. Good morning, Patrick. I hope you're having a good day. I am. Thank you for asking. Good. I've learned in desperate times and desperate measures, you call Patrick when you have a good question. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah. What's desperate? Um, What's going on right now? So 
um, I have a niece that's an addict. And um, her parents did an intervention uh, last fall. Okay. And she, they basically said she had to go to treatment. Um, and so she did. And as soon as she was done with treatment, she went back to Vegas. Was she addicted to alcohol, drugs, or what? Or drugs. all of it? Okay. I, I think a, uh, a little bit of both, all of okay. it, a little smorgasbord okay. going on. And how old is she? She's 31. And is she married? No. Okay. Mm-mm, no. But um, we get some phone call. My sister got some phone calls last week um, and stated it's not going good. And so in interventions and in Al-Anon AA programs, they tell you to cut the person off. I want to know what is the Catholic view in this type of situation. I don't know that I could give you a blanket yes or no. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus says, for example, in Matthew 18, to go back to that passage, let's Mm -hmm. let's just kind of give Jesus the first say in this issue. So he says, if you have something... Yeah, so he says, if you have something against your brother, then go to him in private and and talk to him about it and see if you can get it resolved. And if mm-hmm. he won't listen to you, if you can't do that, just the two of you together, then bring two or three witnesses so that everything can be established in the mouths of two or three witnesses. And this, by the way, is a is a precept from the Mosaic Law that had to do with somebody who was accused of something could not be condemned on the accusation of one person. There had to be multiple witnesses so that mm-hmm. somebody who was innocent wouldn't wind up being you know, put to death even. So this sure. is why Jesus invokes that. And this is what mm-hmm. you might call the intervention stage of it. Then he says, if he will not listen, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that phrase, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector, we might say in modern 21st century American English means you cut that person off. Okay. So there is a time and place where that is the best thing to do, maybe the only thing to do. But I don't think that this is universally obligatory. You know, there may be situations in which there's something less harsh that could be done. Well, you can't live here anymore. You can't live under this roof anymore, a parent might say to a child. It's not cutting them off, but it's something drastic, and but still falls short of cutting them off. Mm-hmm. So you only you could really, I mean, you and your family, the people involved, only you could really determine how extreme is the situation. If she's showing up with violence or with criminals, if she's showing up deranged and potentially harmful to people. I mean, there are situations where, sure, you you know, you can't come around here anymore, but there's yeah. no way for me to know yeah. where it is okay. on that spectrum of things. Mm-hmm. Is she willing to try to get some help? No, she, no, no, nothing. Okay. Um, okay. I, I mean, I'm praying from the distance because it's, you know, Lots of states in between. She yeah. does not live at home. She's out on her own. She is supporting herself. Um, but the the disturbing phone calls that were received last week um, are uh, like a downward downward spiral, worse than mm-hmm. what it was. And so, 
It, it is. It, it's just heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And and so I guess that's why I called you, is because yeah. I want to be that rescuer because I'm a people pleaser, and I, I save whatever mm-hmm. I can because she is God's children, child, and I, I, I don't want anything bad to happen. And, you know, I'm not prophesizing that way either. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to say, all right, let go, give it to God, and let our divine physician step in and I'm doing all that. I really, yeah. really am. But it's just, I want your take on, do you go in and try to rescue one more time? Or when is, when do you stop rescuing? You know, mm-hmm. because you can't fix it. I understand. I understand. And you're, you're right to, to want to do everything you can. You have a good heart. You love her. You want to see her get out of this nightmare situation. And, and that's mm-hmm. all laudable, obviously. But there can come a time where your concern becomes enabling. And yeah. if, if your continued effort to help her is just recycled into enabling her bad behavior, then as painful as it is, sometimes you just have to pull back from that. And in some terrible situations, when the family is watching in horror as the person goes into self-destruction mode, and there's nothing you can do to stop it, what a what a terrible agony it is for a family to see a loved one do this to herself and you, you're powerless to stop it. Mm-hmm. So do, do yeah. everything you can um, be, be looking for where is the line here where this becomes enabling her and makes, makes it actually worse and pray to God. Obviously there's always hope. There's always restoration. The reason I asked you if she was interested in getting help is because there is a group, the Chinacolo community. Chinacolo is the Italian word for cenacle, the upper room where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper. And they have uh, centers all around the world to help people, men and women, become free from drug and alcohol addiction, for example. And they have a center in, I believe it's in St. Augustine, Florida, and their website, by the way, is hopereborn.org, hopereborn.org. I mention it because maybe now is not the time, but maybe six months from now, she might be willing to take a look there, go visit, and maybe go stay there and get cleaned up and get her life back on track. But it's a Christ-centered Catholic community where the people, the men and women, you know, they obviously don't live like in the same rooms or anything. It's segregated by by sex, but they learn to pray together, to work together, to, to form friendships, to become free of these addictions, and the, their success is pretty amazing. So okay. keep that in your back pocket. Maybe she oh, might I'm be willing keep to do it that. Really, really close to my back pocket, and okay. um, I appreciate you taking my call again and, and giving me some insight. And don't You're let welcome. go of hope. I thank you. What's this lady's first name? And I'll ask everyone listening to remember her in their prayers. What's her first name? Amanda. Amanda. Okay. Well, she's now on a lot of prayer lists right now, Jerry. That's why I called you, because I knew that would happen. Okay. Well, thank you. And hang in there. I know it's hard. Uh, Let's go to Mary now in Santa Rosa, California. Good morning, Mary. Hi, Patrick. I'm a big fan of your show. I hope you can hear me okay. I can. By the way, do you ever frequent the St. Eugene Cathedral Parish in Santa Rosa? I do. I do. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. I have a dear friend, Father Jeffrey Keyes, a wonderful priest. He's on 
on um, he's a priest assigned there. So next time you're there, if you see Father Jeffrey Keys, tell him I said hello, please. Okay, I will. Excellent. I listened to, um, on the app as well. So thank you. Big fan of your guys' app also. Thank um, you. I have my daughter in the background, so in case you hear some cues or whatever, her. it's her. Yes, <laughs> you will hear her. Um, so I've been like <laughs> um, hemming and hawing whether to call you, but I feel urged to do so. So my husband and I were married just under two years ago. Um, in the Catholic Church, uh, we met actually through a Protestant school. I got hired as a teacher to teach there in the midst of COVID when every okay. other school was closing. Uh, he was uh, on staff there, and we ended up meeting. Um, we ended up um, starting to date. Um, mm-hmm. Really great guy. I mean, I dated many Catholic men, and none of them were as upstanding as him. Okay. And I knew, and he's completely Catholic. He was raised Catholic in South America, has all of his sacraments. Um, and, but he joined this evangelical church, which he then got hired at years before I came there mm-hmm. and started going to church there um, and would frequent Catholic mass every now and again, but he was raised pretty loosely as a Catholic. Okay. And he moved here from South America when he was in his early twenties. Um, and he, didn't speak English, everything else. So once we started dating, I told him, you know, my faith is really serious, is really important to me. And, you know, I'm a cradle Catholic and I go to mass every Sunday and I would really love for you to join me. And he was more than happy to come back. Um, He's been back to confession. He's, um, he's been back to mass with me every Sunday, ever since we've been together, but he still has a preference for the worship style of the evangelical Protestant. Um, He was kind of, I mean, that's where he really kind of fell in love with Jesus. I guess he would say Mm -hmm. is through the worship style. He's a guitar player. He's basically a musician and um, he just enjoys that worship style. And, you know, when we dated, we did go to both. We went to the Catholic Mass. We went to the Evangelical Church. I worked there, so that was part of our community. And I realized it was kind of a slippery slope in some sense because mm-hmm. I was always thinking of, well, you know, we kind of knew we were the one for each other. Um, and we both wanted to have children after our, our wedding. And now we do have a little girl. Um, but I just want, and we do go to both still. So that's kind of the the crux of it here is that we do attend, you know, a Catholic mass every Sunday. Sometimes it's St. Eugene's. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also attend an evangelical church. It's Assemblies of God just around the corner from us that um, he's gotten connected to. And um, I mean, it's fine. The worship there is very, it's very basic. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but so it, it sounds him, like you have a, a specific concern I'm wondering what that is. I guess I do. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, so my kiss, thank you. My specific concern would be, I guess, my daughter. <laughs> of, you know, she's baptized Catholic. Um, and I want to do everything within my power to transmit the faith clearly to her the way it was to me. And my husband is aware of that and he's on board with it, but he still desires that she be exposed to, I guess, the power of worship in his understanding. Mm-hmm. And I just want your advice maybe on like ways to really, I mean, have you seen this before? I guess I don't have a lot of people who are in my situation. I know it's a unique situation, but what I guess yeah. the things I to steer clear of so that we don't have this scary, slippery slope where now she's really not into her faith because it's like, well, mom and dad have this two faith system. How do I, how do we make mm-hmm. it clear that 
our our foundation is Catholic. And yes, there is a way to worship through beautiful music, et cetera. And there's many forms of prayer, but the Catholic faith is it. <laughs> yeah, I think I have a clear idea what you mean. And I, I'm, I'm aware of what you're talking about, that you want to preserve her Catholic identity and not have mm-hmm. it diluted or eroded. And I think right. that's a reasonable concern because certainly the Assemblies of God, their worship style is very emotional. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, physical with the hands in the air and the right. praying in tongues, you know, whether or not it's actually tongues for real or not, but it, it's a very emotional mm-hmm. kind of prayer. And that is appealing to some people. It's not appealing to me, but for some people it is very appealing. Right. So I think you're right to want to limit that as much as you can in favor of her having a very solid and clear upbringing, you know, who she is in Jesus Christ, how she's a follower of Jesus, why is she a member of the church Jesus established? Obviously, mm-hmm. did, Jesus didn't establish the Assemblies of God. Um, mm-hmm. So those kinds of things, especially early on, the more you can inculcate that in her, the better. And as she grows older, I believe you're right to be concerned that she might be pulled in that direction. So the more you can steep her in her Catholic identity mm-hmm. from an early age, the better. Um, I don't want to, you know, to, to propose things that would create friction between you and your husband. That's not my, my mm-hmm. point here, mm-hmm. but um, you know, the more your husband is willing to focus on the Catholic faith, you know, the, he needs, maybe I should say this, maybe he needs the emotional fix of what mm-hmm. he gets, you know, the the mm-hmm. the excitement or the, you know, the feeling uplifted or things like that from mm-hmm. Assemblies of God. But over time, and as he grows in his faith, and as, you sound like you're a young woman, so I presume he's a young man mm-hmm. as well. As you grow older... We're about 10 years apart, yeah. Okay, he's so he's, me, but yeah. he's older than you, okay. Um, but I think your instincts are sound, Mary. I think that you're right to have that concern... Mm-hmm. And so I would propose that you continue to really inculcate the Catholic faith in your daughter, make sure she mm-hmm. receives the sacraments, make sure that she mm-hmm. has good Catholic education, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll help mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I'm, you know, I wonder, like, there's times where I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, here we are, we're going to the Assemblies of God, and then we're going to jump over to the new Mass at St. Eugene's, or we go to the Spanish Mass around here, since he's Spanish speaking. And we want to transmit Spanish to our daughter, too. You know what I do? I wonder, like... Try, try this. Yeah. I have to go, but try this, yeah. Mary. Um, mm-hmm. Invite Father Keys over to dinner and oh, get to know him. <laughs> I'll bet idea. you he would be very happy to offer advice and, mm. and guidance. He's a good man. Great. Thank you so much, Patrick. You're welcome. I'm glad you called, Mary. Hang in there, and let's talk again. I'll be right back. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. It's Groundhog Day! Groundhog time. Then put your... Can't 
Electric Madrid is on. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio. I got you, baby. This movie was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, Cyrus. Did I ever tell you that? Oh, where's that? It's in Illinois. Okay, thanks. Hey, I have a note here from Rebecca, short and sweet. Not Rebecca, but the note is short and sweet. And she signs off love and prayers. That's cool. I have a daughter named Rebecca. So this is not my daughter writing it. Uh, But she says, I read online that if you sprinkle holy water on the floor, it will penetrate to purgatory to provide relief for the holy souls. Is there any truth to this or is it just pious superstition? It's just pious superstition. There is no truth in that. Um, I've never heard that before, but no, that doesn't really happen. Holy water is good. It's a sacramental. Bless yourself with holy water. Bless your children or your home, whatever. I mean, it's a good thing. It's a reminder of your baptism, which is the reminder of your victory in Jesus over sin and death. He conquered sin and death by his death on the cross. And when you're baptized, as St. Paul says, you are baptized into his death and resurrection. That's what holy water is for. But no, if you sprinkle holy water on the floor, it doesn't penetrate down to purgatory. You know why? Because purgatory is not a physical place. It is understood to be. The underworld was always understood to be. And biblically, it's depicted as under our feet, down in the ground somewhere. But um, that's, I think, a metaphor for how this uh, actually works. Our Lady at Fatima, when she showed the children the vision of hell in 1917, the ground opened and they looked down into the ground and they saw hell. So, I mean, it's not as though that idea is not part of biblical and Catholic understanding of the underworld. But strictly speaking, if you were to put holy water on the floor in your kitchen, it doesn't go down through the ground into purgatory. And I'm glad you wrote that. I never was asked that question before. Uh, let's see. Let's go to William in Waco, Texas. Good morning, William. Hi, William. Welcome. Do we have William? Hi there. I see him. Hello? 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 What? Hello, hello. Let's put William on hold. Young Thomas, please see if we can sort him out. Uh, and we will get back to him ASAP. Um, how about Ray in Michigan, in Minnesota, rather? Hello, Ray. Hello. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. I, my question is, uh, during this election year, I'm, I'm considering working to work to support life issues as uh, not abortions and not assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. And can you help me by explaining how to respond to those who say, my body, my right, my choice? Mm-hmm. I understand the, the point that they're making because obviously we do have and we we have a reasonable expectation to bodily autonomy. I mean, you have a right to govern your body, but it's not an unrestricted and absolute right. There are things you can't do with your body. You can't uh, use your body to harm other people. Uh, the, the state, the law says you can't use your body to hurl yourself off of a off of a building to commit suicide. They will try to stop you, and you could say, my body, my choice, and they'd say, sorry, you're not allowed to commit suicide. I mean, so it's not an absolute unrestricted right, number one. And number two, the whole issue here is that it's not actually your body that you're aborting, it's somebody else's body, somebody else's body. So that unborn child, the unborn human being, 
whether in the zygote stage or the embryo stage or the fetus stage, whatever stage of development that unborn human being is in, life begins at conception. That is an innocent unborn human being. That's not your kidney. It's not a tumor. It's not part of you. It's in you. That's true. But it's not your body. It's someone else's body. And so you don't have a right, strictly speaking. Yes, I know it's legal in some cockamamie states like California or New York. But strictly speaking, you don't have the right to take the life of an innocent person. So it just so happens that because you had sex and you got pregnant and you now have a baby in you, well, that baby has a right to life and therefore, you know, you can't invoke the my body, my choice in any reasonable sense because it's someone else's body that you would be killing. Not just their body, obviously, but that's part of the thought process that people need to be reminded of. Now, there are a million and one comebacks and counter-arguments and thought-stopping slogans that you're likely to run into, but the essence of the point here is it's ultimately not your body at risk here, it's somebody else's. You see what I mean, Ray? Sure. Try that. And practice makes perfect. <clears throat> I have found that it's usually futile to try to argue with somebody that way because often it's not a logical process for that person. It's, they're, they're not approaching the topic rationally as much as they are emotionally. And so for somebody to shout, my body, my choice, it's not really an argument. I mean, it's a, sort of a quasi-argument in a way, but people will understand it at a superficial level and even agree with it at a superficial level because, as I say, we all have reasonable expectation for bodily autonomy. I get to do what I want with my body. I can stay up late if I want to. Maybe I should go to sleep earlier, but it's my right <laughs> to stay up later if I want to, kind of like that. But as I say, it's not an absolute right. So check it out. I mean, there's some really good resources. I would recommend liveaction.org, liveaction.org. Um, they have a lot of good videos. They have other resources, articles, and things like that. Lila Rose is the founder and president. She does wonderful work. And so that would be a good place you could go to learn more things that you could employ in your discussions with people. I hope that helps, Ray. Thank you. Let's go to William again in Waco. Good morning, William. Do we have you this time? Yes, I'm muted. Okay. <laughs> no problem. This is an update, Paul. Okay. You helped me a couple of years ago in so many ways that it, my life was dealing with, at that time, a lot of things, including having lost my religion, mm -hmm. lost a couple of ma three marriages, and then turned to same-sex relationship. And I didn't want to lose my salvation. Mm -hmm. And but I hated myself for so many things because it started with, with molestation when I was age four oh by boy. my brother. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm so and sorry. then the, I gave my life to the Lord. I was a Southern Baptist, not by choice at the time. And at, at nine years old 
And so anyway, I was I was molested by a next door neighbor that had the trust of my mom and dad. So here I am. What do I do? Who do I tell? They're not going to believe me. Mm-hmm. The word of a little kid. So it went on and on. I ended up in the Air Force, age 20. I'm taking a chaplain's tour of Istanbul because I was in Turkey on a remote mm-hmm. my last year. That Forgive my interruption, William. Uh, I'm really sorry to interrupt, but we only have about a little over two minutes, and I don't want you to run I out of time. Up, I, I ended up losing a lot of things, including my career I wanted in the Air Force, based, and I was molested and date-raped by the tour guide. So I came back to the United States thinking, what do I got to do? I went 10,000 miles around the world, and this is still happening to me. What is going on? Mm -hmm. So anyway, it wasn't anything that God was doing to me, and it wasn't stuff that I was doing to myself. Mm -hmm. It was trying to get my attention. Hey, I still love you, and I've got plans for you. But I still hated myself, and so how could I? When I got back into the Catholic Church, put put to put to use the great commandment: you got to love mm-hmm. God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I didn't love myself. Mm-hmm. We have less than two minutes now, William. I'm I'm riveted by your story, but I don't want you to run out of time. So, how would you summarize the point? This is a very important conversation. It's good news. It's it's good news. I've I've. I'm living a trying to trying with Lord's help and others to live a life of celibacy and chastity. Beautiful. I am happy to hear that. So you and I talked how long ago, William? At least two and a half years ago. I'm so happy to hear that that conversation was helpful to you. I assume that you listen to relevant radio from time to time. A lot. I'm glad. Every other day I've donated. I can't tell you how much because y'all need to, I need to pay it forward. Well, thank you You for that. I feel that need to pay it forward. Just know this, William. I'm glad you called and reminded me of our conversation and you're going to be on my radar screen going forward now. And we'll pray for you that you will continue to strive with God's grace to live that life of chastity and purity and moving forward, all those good things that you're doing right now. That's wonderful. And I'll ask everybody listening to pray for you. Okay. St. Louis Parish Church in Waco. St. Louis Parish. God bless you, William. Lovely. And you are magnificent. You're doing what the good Lord wants you to do, and you're bringing people back to the Lord. Praise God. Well, thank you, William. God is doing a great work in you. That's for sure. Hang in there. Siempre adelante. In Spanish, that means always forward. Until next time, I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. God bless you.